0: Let's all go to the lobby for The Concession Stand with your host, J.W. Caldwell. And welcome to The Concession Stand. my. I'm your host, J.W. Caldwell, the Florida movie guy. Or the P.L.I. movie guy, depending on where you know me from. Uh, good to be back. Got a big show for you today. We got a lot to talk about. Uh, let's get right into it. You know, it's, it's been a, an interesting summer at the box office this past weekend. Saw Suicide Squad drop 67%. It grossed $43.5 million, down from its one thirty-three point six, uh, which was the first weekend, which was a record, an August record that broke the Guardians of the Galaxy record of $94.3 million. Um, it kind of got dropped with that 67% disc- decline because of Sausage Party, uh, which is kind of one of the marvels of the summer. It grossed $34.3 million dollars. Uh, Pete's Dragon grows twenty one point five, but the most of the press this weekend is focused on Sausage Party, which is basically doing it as an original R-rated Pixar-ish looking comedy um, you know, about food talking and doing all kinds of revolting things and you know heavy R-rated comedy, um, and they did it with a unique marketing strategy, fifty percent digital. So they were working wholeheartedly with tweeting and instagram and facebook and all the different ways to do it um which is the opposite of what's been happening with most of the marketing for the summer so sausage party is a big is a big hit it did very well and it's it's also part of a, a kind of a dark side of hollywood story this week that just came out and it's been an interesting week for hollywood studios and we'll get to what's going on with Warner Brothers later, a little bit later, uh, but, which is also huge news, but basically there's a huge article going around, and basically, information going around, Sasha Party was made on a shoestring budget for an animated movie, and, uh, you know, obviously bringing back huge return for its, its company, Annapura, uh, that produced it, and Nitrogen Animation Studios, but basically a bunch of letters have come out, and different websites, uh, where, People have complained about how the animators were treated by the directors of the film, um, basically, you know, forcing overtime, giving away work when overtime was not was not done, or not allowing their animators lunch breaks or dinner breaks or any kind of breaks whatsoever in order to get the movie in on budget and in on time. So you have this weird dynamic where the artists were, you know, produced a big budget movie on a shoestring budget that's grossed a ton of money for its company. But all of a sudden you look up and, and all of a sudden it's this story about how Hollywood is treating its artists or in this case, and, and to be honest, animators, visual effects artists, and and people like that are kind of a, treated a step lower, even though they, they're providing a bulk of our entertainment right now. So you have this great story about nitrogen animation studios, not paying overtime, keeping the budget low, not being fed. Now, it should It should also be noted that Annapura, who is the producer of the film, basically when they found out about the overtime uh, rules and about the feedings and about lunch and dinner breaks, basically made Nitrogen Studios do that. But it's still, it's kind of a dark place, and, and it follows on the heels of a giant letter that was released uh, about Warner Brothers Studios, which is the studio behind Suicide Squad and Batman vs Superman and a lot of big-budget movies. It's one of the preeminent studios in Hollywood. Uh, Gracie Law, great name, by the way, great moniker for whoever the whistleblower is, wrote a letter, and basically it was a, a letter that sat on a shelf for a year, hoping that Suicide Squad would be better than it is. And we'll talk about that later, too. Uh, and basically, you know, this letter stated that Warner Brothers has... has Blamed marketing departments, blamed IT people, blamed all the people except for the artists making their movies for their recent slate of big budget, hugely expensive turkeys. Movies that just didn't land. The, the prime, you know, movie among them is Batman vs. Superman. There's no way a movie with Batman vs. Superman only grows $800 million. And when you say only $800 million, you go, oh, well, that's a lot of money. It is. But... It should have been much bigger, and all they needed was the right direction, the right tone, and they're following on Zack Snyder. And now we have Suicide Squad, which is in the same boat uh, as Batman vs Superman, um, except Suicide Squad is done by a lesser-gilded director, David R., so you have a movie that's kind of a mismatch It's it's put together, It's and at one point there were competing versions of, of the movie. So... Um, and it's really visible on screen. So this problem with Warner Brothers has prompted Gracie Waugh, great moniker if you don't know it, A Big Trouble in Little China, one of the great 80s movies. And basically uh, she's gone on a, on a rampage for Kevin Tushihara, who runs Warner Brothers, and basically has gone and just took him to task for putting all this money into big budget movies and, and getting away from smaller budget movies. And also blaming marketing departments, blaming people that aren't responsible for these movies instead of, like, the big-budget directors, the Hobbit trilogy that did, uh, you know, good business but not Lord of the Rings business because it was, you know, one movie that was stretched out into two movies that finally got stretched into three movies, you know, and wasn't, you know, it was padded and just kind of lazy. uh, But, I mean, enjoyable, sure, but padded and lazy. And you know you put a ton of money into Peter Jackson's coffers, but nothing into really the people behind it. Okay, um, and then you have Pan, which is a big budget blockbuster that does nothing and nobody really wants. And and you're believing in your directors and you're believing in your actors, but you're you're blaming the people down the chain for when these movies don't hit. Batman versus Superman didn't hit because it wasn't good. It's not that it you know it's not that it didn't hit because Their marketing wasn't great. Their marketing was pretty good. The the Batman posters were nice. The Superman posters were amazing. And, you know, when they put them together, they were very cool. So it's not a matter of marketing. It's a matter of making good movies. And this summer has proved that, that if you make original good movies or if you make movies that are part of a reboot or or a franchise reboot or whatever you're doing, as long as they're good, people will go to them. Um, But let's start, you know, with those two big... Hollywood stories dominating. Let's go and talk about the summer of sequels and reboots and reimaginings and and cinematic universes being set up and where we're at right now. I mean, we've had our major hits, uh, you know, um, Prime being Finding Dory, which is a sequel to Pixar's Finding Nemo. Um, We've had Captain America Civil War, which is a huge hit, uh, and The Secret Life of Pets, which is from the studio that brought you Minions basically dominating the box office and we've had you know very big movies that have kind of flo- you know floated away um you know and then franchises that kind of are okay so uh recent star trek movie very good um ghostbusters i enjoyed it but it's it wasn't everybody's cup of tea and it didn't hit the way they needed it to hit so we may not get a sequel to that uh so it's been an interesting summer um now with regards to Suicide Squad, well, let's Yeah, I got uh, some quick reviews for you, because I've seen uh, seen a ton of movies this summer, and I I haven't really done a ton of reviews, but I want to get in on Suicide Squad and what I find to be the major issues with it. Now, that being said, there are pieces of it that work wonderfully, and actually, the problem with the movie is that it feels like it's two movies pasted together, and, you know, apparently there were dueling edits of the film. One was an edit that Arrow wanted that was a little bit darker which would tie in with all the tone that's going on in the DC cinematic universe that is going to need to drastically change for them to make money aside from DC fans. Um, And basically, and another version, which is, was done by an actual uh, trailer company, a company that edits together trailers. So they, they Warner brothers gave the studio that does trailer uh, trailer park, um, basically full cut on one of their edits of the film. And they tested both of them. And then they, They basically took the good pieces from each of them and mashed them together. And what you get when you go and plunk down your money to see Suicide Squad is you get pieces of things that work. Uh, Deadshot works. Batman works in the movie. Um, Spoiler alert, Batman shows up. The places where another superhero shows up, spoiler alert, Flash, also work. Um, It's smaller. But Batman does show up. Batman works. Uh, Deadshot works. His backstory works, although he is a little... I, I would agree with the criticism that he's a little too sympathetic, but when you put Will Smith in that role, you have to assume that his natural charisma as an actor might come out. So I think they were going for that. I think they were going for a Deadpool. that's kind of in the gray area, but a charming charismatic, you know, killer. <laughs> and they got it. Um, Harley Quinn works because Margot Robbie, Robbie, um, is very good in the role. Um, Leto isn't in the movie enough to actually warrant, you know, I don't know how his Joker's actually going to be when we get a full movie with him, if we ever get a full movie with him. He's had a a fight going on with Warner Brothers since the movie dropped because he feels like all his scenes were cut. Um, The Joker's only in the movie about ten minutes, so everybody going and looking for the Joker is going to be incredibly disappointed. Um, The first half of the movie works really well, but it's essentially... A very long setup to a um, uh, a cons on a mission movie. So basically, it's like an opening, say of a Dirty Dozen, where you get the backstories of each of the guys, and they're going to go on a mission, and and that's what it is. It's done in a high gloss, you know, tone with lots of lots of uh, very singable music and very rem- you know memorable music, uh, you know, like ballroom blitz and and different things. And basically, it's it's done in a quick edit style that's, you know, that's very, um, as if an ADD person got control of an edit bay. And, you know, there's graphics and there's, you know, it's very, it's very quick. Some people get short shrift, other people uh, get longer bios, uh, you know, Deadshot gets a long one, Harley gets a long one, obviously. Because uh, most of the bulk of the movie is built around her. And Diablo gets a, a, a decent story arc as well um others don't uh killer crack doesn't really get any kind of an intro of how he got the way he is or you know he has a couple scenes with guards um let's not even talk about slipknot and and you know he gets next to nothing which you know considering he's uh, one of the major villains is fine captain boomerang gets a brief intro and then you know he's He's hit or miss throughout the rest of the movie, but his character has one, you know, is a good thing. And the other one that gets the major portion of it is the Enchantress with Rick Flagg, because basically the whole movie is based off of her. Um, She's not only, you know, spoiler, part of the Suicide Squad, she's, you know, the main opponent of the Suicide Squad in the film. And uh, another person that gets a decent amount of time is Amanda Waller. Uh, Viola Davis, who is tremendous. Uh, my, Amanda Waller needs to be a villain in in, a, in something else, or she needs to be someone that, you know, a hero's tangle with at some point. Uh, so, you have a, a great bringing together of all the pieces, and then they're going on a mission to a small city that's under attack. The small city's under attack already, and you know, midway through, it becomes you know, whether or not they're going to bolt, whether or not they're going to do this, and it meanders, although you have the star power of Robbie and the star power of Will Smith holding it together. Joel Kinnaman's kind of he kind of blends into the background as Rick Flagg. Scott Eastwood's in it, but he doesn't have a major role, although there were rumors that he was a major character, but he's not. Um, and it all kind of blends together. You're waiting for the next glimpse of the Joker. You're waiting for the next glimpse of Batman. Um, and then you're already there, and at some point they decide that they're going to have... Nameless, faceless kind of blobs of humanity that are turned by the enchantress, and they it allows us to have gunfire and kill things without actually killing people because they're no longer people. So they're people she's turned into these gelatinous kind of monsters, and you know the Suicide Squad can you know fight them and do whatever. Uh, You know the crux of the movie is them moving from place to place in a video game like fashion achieving goal set points and you know the movie doesn't really work in the the third and the third act it, it kind of just falls apart uh, under its own weight it just gets to the point where it's like at some point n- the none of these people would have been called in to do this mission at some point if there are real heroes in the world the real heroes in the world would have been called the flash or wonder woman or batman or because it's just too big for the, the the people that are involved. And that begs the question also, Viola Davis, um, you know, Batman vs. Superman is a big crux of why they're being created, why we are creating the Suicide Squad. We are creating them to uh, deal with aliens in the case, you know, because Superman's no longer around. Uh, you know, for people who haven't seen Batman vs. Superman, spoiler alert, he dies at the end, and basically he's no longer around, and, Batman goes off on his way to to form the Justice League in an effort to be prepared for the next the next attack that comes that he sure is coming. Awesome! Uh, so the, the Suicide Squad is created as a government black ops agency to do the you know if what if we need someone that to take out ba- Superman or somebody like Superman, uh, which is crazy because you basically the, one of the main members of your Suicide Squad is a girl in hot pants who carries a badge. Now, don't get me wrong, she's devastating, and she's amazing, and I, you know, I love watching Harley. But I don't know that Harley's ever been a person that you look at as somebody that could go after Superman or could figure out a way to hit Superman with a bat so that it didn't shatter her bat. Uh, So it's this crazy, okay, great, just buy it. Yeah, we'll go with it. They're going to be a black ops organization. We're going to send them in. Okay. Uh, We get to the third act, and the third act is basically the end of ghostbusters with the enchantress playing gozer and trying to open up a portal and going all crazy and it just becomes so nuts and so over the top that you just go well there's too much there'd be somebody else called in or by all means you know at some point military something would be called in aside from these this you know trained squad of mercenaries that also happen to be Sociopathic killers, for the most part, and it just never happens. And also, you have a weird third act a mechanic where Amanda Waller is knee deep in the in the city, and she's being she's the one that they're actually rescuing. Which means you put the person that's taken the dogs out of their cage and who's abused the dogs in charge of the dogs or in the, near the dogs, essentially wearing a meat collar. And it just, it's a weird dynamic, it just doesn't work, and it never comes together in the way that you want it to, where it would all work as a seamless unit, as opposed to them just going in and crippling a country or doing something. You It just doesn't work, because the mission is bigger than the mechanics. And the second half is much drearier and more of a slog action movie than the first half, which is introducing everybody bubbly and kind of fast and effervescent. Um, mainly because Studio Exes looked at the reactions to the trailers and said, we want more of that. And when errors didn't provide that, they basically grafted the trailer park cut of it to his version, and we get the movie we get. Now, uh, you know, there's rumors about tons of uh, Jared Leto material being on the floor. Joker's not in the movie that much, so it, he didn't bother me. Uh, there are a couple of iconic things that they did change, um, you know, if you're going, pay very close attention to Harley Quinn's, uh, graphics when they introduce her. Also pay attention to look for the very classic, um, Alex Ross version of the Joker and Harley dancing. It's there, It's it was easily, it brought a smile to my face. Um, you know, as did The Flash, as did everything with Batman in this movie. Batman in this movie is, you know, where we want Batman to be, and actually Bruce bruce wayne in this movie is where we want batman to be because uh, that's the cameo after the credit sequence basically bruce wayne talking to amanda waller and basically getting closer to setting up the justice league which is of course the next movie in the dc cinematic universe now that's the big question how does suicide squad fit in i don't know where it fits in with regards to it it's a bunch of anti-heroes and cool people doing amazing things on screen and Will it save the DC Cinematic Universe? Probably not. <laughs> um, it, it is a little bit better than Batman vs. Superman because at least part of it gets the tone right. So, you know, it gets a little bit more of a pass than Batman vs. Superman. I like both of them. I just... I I, I have a real issue with Superman being so dreary, And I want them to get the tone right. And they, they apparently have gotten the memo from people like me because the Justice League trailer that dropped for Comic-Con looks amazing, and looks like they got the tone. So, we'll see what happens. Uh, the other big franchise movie I saw uh, recently is ba- uh, Star Trek Beyond. And Star Trek Beyond, I-, I can't encourage Star Trek fans or fans of just good genre filmmaking to see it enough. It- it's Chris Pine and Carl Urban and Zachary Quinto and all the people behind the Star Trek universe, the new Star Trek reboot franchise, uh, get... Major props. It's got a great storyline. Basically, you know, Federation, you know, what do you do when you're three years in on a five year mission? And, you know, it has all the longing and, and dreariness and just of the, of the Kirk emotional pattern that I love. Um, and it's a really good extended episode. Uh, it's like an episode of the old 60s show. And it's extremely well done. Idris Alba is a good villain. Um, and but it what it does the best is it has great character moments. Uh, Zachary Quinto as Spock and Carl Urban as Bones are fantastic together. Their chemistry is palpable. Chris Pine does a really good job um, carrying you know Anton Yelchin and doing doing things. Anton Yelchin in his last role, very very amazing. Um, and it's it's easily one of my favorite movies this summer. It it, it was it came at right just the right time right before Suicide Squad and right where I was kind of getting a little bit of blockbuster fatigue, and summer movie fatigue, and it's an extended episode, basically. uh, Enterprise responds to a distress call in in a nebula where nobody can see them. The ship gets taken out, and all the crew gets dispersed and gets captured by a a genocidal madman who wants to take out the Federation for reasons that, you know, I'm not even going to spoil, because it's a cool kind of reveal, and Idris uh, Simple plays the bad guy, he's, he's very good, he's dangerous, he's, he's big, he's hulking. Um, and, but the, the the key to the movie is the smaller character moments. There is a, a wonderful remembrance uh, for Anton Yelchin after the movie. There's also a great um, remembrance of Spock Prime, which, as you know if you are fans of the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies, um, it takes place in a, a universe where Spock Prime has escaped his original timeline, and he's on a new timeline that has allowed the reboot to take place and not uh, hit any of the the old remarkable canon of the original crew or cast, so, you know, with Leonard Nimoy's passing, um, they, they build it into the movie, and it, it's a gut punch, if you're a Star Trek fan, it's a gut punch, and it's easily one of my, one of my favorite movies this year, um, I really enjoyed it, and for all the talk about it being too fast, too furious, the Star Trek edition, the action sequences are, are amazingly well shot. They're, they're well done. And it it goes a long way uh, specifically about, you know, taking care of the character stuff. And the character stuff is, uh, you know, top notch. Um, Carl Urban needs more work, <laughs> is is what I would say. And it's, it's a good Star Trek movie, and it's a good Star Trek movie in the sense that it's very much reminiscent of the old series, and that's the biggest compliment I can pay to the new crew. Uh, I want Chris Pine to be a bigger star than he already is. I want Zachary Quinto to be a bigger star, and I I certainly want Carl Urban uh, to be a bigger star. And, you know, it actually is one of the best movies this summer. Another great little movie I saw this summer, um, there's a movie called Lights Out. If you're a horror movie fan, I love horror movies. If you're a horror movie fan, it is remarkably short. It is an hour and 20 minutes. um, But it is a... It is a wonderful, wonderful little piece of cinema that um, was made from a short by David Sandberg. Um, and basically, uh, it, it follows um, a character named Rebecca and her mom, Sophie, played by Maria Bello, and uh, Rebecca's played by Teresa Palmer, and basically follows a, a girl who's had trouble with her mom and her little brother, who are they're seeing... Um, something in the dark so basically uh, in the dark, somebody's standing there but when the light goes on, it's gone and that character is a, is a new horror movie villain called Diana and it's it's a remarkably quick fast uh, movie where it sets up the, this, the rules of the horror movie very well it, uh, you know, basically lights are on <laughs> Diana cannot be there lights are off you're on your own and you could be in a lot of trouble and you know, it doesn't have a high body count. Um, it's PG 13 rated, but it's got a, a a lot of good jump scares and a lot of creepy, you know, things going on. Is it as good as the conjuring Two? Is it as good as the conjuring? No, but it is a remarkably well done little horror film, hour and 20 minutes in and out very, very fast, very done. Um, and I think it, it, starts a new franchise possibly maybe, um, with, with Diana being a new horror icon, she's, she's chilling and it's, uh, she has a good backstory. The, the funny, funniest thing about the movie is I've seen so many horror movies where it's about, they run about an hour and 40 minutes. That's, you know, usually the time of a horror film because that gives you just about enough time to, to get everything set up, get where you're going. Um, the funny thing here is the movie's an hour and 20 minutes because they cut out a key, a key kind of iconography with regards to horror films and that usually the person that's fighting the villain eventually has to figure everything out and figure out why the villain's doing what they're doing and and how the villain came to be and all that. But they cut it out because basically they they do a script twinge where um, basically she inherits all of her father's material that he's been studying up on. So he has all the material and he has it in a box and she opens the box and she has all the stuff she needs. To, to do the thing, and there's no real mess or anything, and that's the only thing that kind of bugged me, but other than that, it's a great little movie, very well done, I enjoyed it immensely, you should go see it. So what do we got coming out this week? Um, actually, before we get to that, let's do, let's do our movie, our Cinebits, our movie news of the week, uh, so big week, big week for more development of uh, DC United Cinematic Movies, Man of Steel 2 went into development this week, um, which is odd because Man of Steel is no longer living, if you heard my earlier spoiler, but it went into production this week, and that's a good sign for the DC Cinematic Universe because that means they're still we're still on board on this. Um, another big franchise that's coming back is Friday the 13th, and Breck Eisner is a very underrated director who did a movie called The Craziest, and he is now in charge of Jason Voorhees and his considerable machete skills, uh, for a Friday the 13th movie that they're, they're actually working on right now. They had toyed with an idea of doing a found footage Friday the 13th movie, but we've gotten away from that. We're going back to traditional Friday the 13th values. Breck Eisner is a great choice. Uh, the crazies, which is a remake of a seventies Romero movie should definitely check out the crazies. Um, if you haven't seen it, um, it's got Timothy Olyphant in it. It's a really well-done little movie about a town uh, that's getting poisoned. Uh, very well done. Um, a big ca- Big news this week that the 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 title for Bad Boys 3, the third Bad Boys movie coming out with Will Smith and Martin Lawrence, it is now Bad Boys for Life, which is perfect if you think about it because everything should be Bad Boys for Life. Um, and Pete Dragon, we talked about earlier, uh, the director, David Lowery, has done such a good job with Pete's Dragon that Disney has given him the keys to a Ferrari, speaking you know wise. Uh, they are giving him a live-action version of the Disney animated movie Peter Pan. So one of the things that that's going on in Hollywood right now, Disney has own, owns so many important things, but the main thing they own is the is the keys to do animate or live-action versions of their animated movies. So, Peter Pan is next after Beauty and the Beast, apparently. And actually, they just also announced that Lin-Manuel Miranda of Hamilton fame is about to do The Little Mermaid. So, uh, you know, it's it's licensed print money. Disney owns that, the keys to that foreboding castle. They own Pixar, which is going strong all these years. They own Marvel, and they own Star Wars. So... Good luck trying to make more money than, than Disney. It's just not going to work. Um, but that's some good news. Some things that came out this week. And uh, Cinebits. The news for movies that you can love to love. Um, what else we got? Uh, some other major news. And it's more, uh, again, reboots. Reboot mania, reboot heavy mania. There's two television reboots coming out that are Kind of important. Two movie reboots coming. Um, The television reboots. Robert Downey Jr. Is going to go back to TV. Hasn't been on TV since uh, Ally McBeal. So we're going to see. He's going to work with Nick Pizzolatto. uh, Of course a true detective for HBO. And what is he going to bring to HBO? What is he going to reboot for HBO? Perry Mason. So he's going to go back to the books. That inspired the Raymond Burr. Classic television show. And he's going to bring Perry Mason back to HBO, which would mean it will be a little bit darker, a little bit seedier maybe. And you got Robert Downey Jr. working with Nick Pizzolatto, who I, I like very much. Although second season of True Detective isn't as good as the first season, but when is a sequel ever as good? Um, actually, Lethal Weapon 2, Superman 2, but moving on. Uh, John Krasinski, uh, fresh off of 13 Hours, uh, is actually also just signed up to do Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan show series for Amazon, which is a huge turn for his career. I think it's a good choice. I don't know that we need another Jack Ryan right now. We've we've had, you know, Alec Baldwin, we've had Harrison Ford, we've had uh, Chris Pine play Jack Ryan. So Jack Ryan's kind of been, you know, kind of used a lot actually recently. Um, So we'll have to see what happens there. But John Krasinski is a good choice. Um, you know, since The Office, I've always felt these deserve more work. The two other major reboots coming from, that were announced this week, because everything in Hollywood is a reboot, like we, we had talked about, the idea that, you know, basically, Hollywood right now, actually, we didn't talk about it that much, so let's talk about it. Hollywood right now is, is in a, a funk. Sausage Party is an original anim, um, anime movie that does $34 million. People want to see original, everybody wants to see original. But the studios are trying to make movies that are basically sure things. So unless you have some sort of tie to an audience, a cult or something, studios are not at liberty right now to throw money at things. So that's why we're getting our our string of reboots and all our remakes, because there's an audience built in already, and the studios are hoping to make their money back quickly. And, you know, you're getting away from original stuff because you you don't have a guaranteed audience. But the funny thing there is, people are looking for original, and the reboots and remakes are starting to bug people, so, um, two major reboots announced, the one is going to anger a cult of fans, the one is definitely going to anger a cult of fans, they're doing a reboot of Clue, the game, Hasbro game, um, it is one of the best 80s movies, it is a classic, you know, Tim Curry, and Madeline Kahn, and, just, you know, Christopher Lloyd, and Ellen Burstyn, and Martin Mull, and just, it is an amazing piece of cinema, and and there was, you know, had a funky release schedule, basically with three different endings, you had to go to different theaters, uh, to, to see each of the endings, because only one, you know, a theater in a particular area had one particular ending, A, B, or C, it was great, um, and it is a, it is a well-done, amazing movie, um, you know, Tim Curry as the butlers fan as Wadsworth is just great. It's very funny, and it's it's gained a cult status. They're remaking Clue, and they're not going to have it in a mansion or anything. It's going to be all over the world, because as you know right now, movies sell around the world, so we're going to have an all-around-the-world Clue, which defeats the purpose of having a board game about killing somebody in a mansion. But, okay, moving on. Um, uh, you know, a quick tidbit there. It is the fourth tim curry movie that's currently in remake world so we have clue getting remade there's an it remake coming out very soon when they just released pictures and everything of pennywise um clue is getting remade and of course they're doing rocky horror on fox in october which we'll talk more about when we get there um but the clue remake is interesting i think it's an anger a lot of folks because clue for a lot of people is a is one of those quirky favorite movies that they discovered on video like Austin Powers and just, um, you know, people had it on video where the tapes got worn out when we had VHS uh, for the youngsters listening when we actually had tapes that actually wore down the more you ran them, as opposed to this digital world where everything's the exact same every time you run it. Um, the other remake, uh, A Star is Born is getting remade again, and A Star is Born is, this time is going to star Brad Cooper and Lady Gaga. So Lady Gaga is... You know, for a, a movie, for a movie star, uh, *A Star Is Born* is is, the, is a great way for a pop star to become a movie star, I should say. Um, and now Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper are doing *A Star Is Born*. Now, *A Star Is Born* is is one of the classic reboots. It, it's a movie that gets remade every twenty or thirty years or so. So, in 1937, *A Star Is Born* starred Janet Gaynor and Frederick March. In 1954, A Star is Born starred Judy Garland, uh, who you folks, the younger folks listening will know as Liza Minnelli's mother, and James Mason. And then in 1976, it starred Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson. So now we're we're at the moment where we're getting A Star is Born yet again. Amazing. Um, so the reboots just keep on coming, and they just don't stop. They never stop. And what are you going to do when the reboot comes for you? Uh, okay, so the final thing of the week. Uh, you know, we had three mini reviews. We had a lot of box office talk. We had all our Cinebits movie news. Uh, what's coming out in theaters this week? When you get this, when you get this podcast, what are you going to be able to see at theaters? Um, and there's a couple things coming out. Uh, there's a Ben Hur remake coming out, uh, which is uh, basically uh, being remade by. Timof Bevikov kambatov I should say. I, you know what? It's a very hard name to pronounce. He made, uh, you know, you know him from making Wanted and you know him from making Abraham Lincoln Vampire Killer, uh, Vampire Hunter, whatever the hell that was. Um, and basically, uh, it's Jack Hudson, who, who had a great run on Boardwalk Empire, and Toby Kebble in the very classic story of Judah Ben-Hur, who's cast aside by his brother and comes back and is mainly known um, for, cherry, for the Chariot Race. I mean, it's a remake of a movie that was in 1959, won 11 Oscars and is widely regarded as one of the great sandal epics ever made by Hollywood um, and, you know, has the Oscar, one of the Oscars tied, you know, with one of the Oscar records with Titanic and, you know, starred Charlton Heston as, you know, very tough Ben-Hur. But the Chariot sequence is you can look at the chariot sequence as one of the guiding forces in creating modern action cinema. It is, it is still bar none excellence with anything you can see on put on film today. So we're getting a remake of Ben-Hur. We're, we're going to get it. And it's by, you know, um, and basically we're going to see what, what happens there. Uh, what can you watch on Netflix or wherever? What can you find? Try to find the classics, go find Ben-Hur, watch the original. Um, Bridge on the River Kwai is available on Netflix. If you're looking for big-budget spectacle, like from the 50s and 60s, where people who are making movies today got their love for movies, Ben-Hur, Bridge on the River Kwai. Lawrence of Arabia is also a good choice if you're prepping to go see Ben-Hur this week. So that's one thing opening. War Dogs is also opening, which is Jonah Hill and Miles Teller. Uh, It's directed by Todd Phillips, who did Old School and The Hangover movies. Um, and basically follows two guys as they go around selling arms and becoming war profiteers. Um, in a comedic fashion, it's, it's got its genes in The Wolf of Wall Street and American Hustle, and uh, basically it's getting good reviews, so it might be one of those movies that you catch, um, you know, where basically the, the crime and the guilt kind of wear on people, and, you know, excess in the greatest form of comedy and humor uh, in this day and age. So War Dogs is opening. Again, American Hustle, you can't really beat for a, a great look at scandal and cons and just, you know, incredibly well done David O. Russell movie. Wolf of Wall Street for that excess that we're looking at with regards to Jonah Hill, who um, has become one of our best young actors, actually, in everything he does. Um, another thing opening, uh, Kubo and the Two Strings, which is an animated movie, um, uh, Travis Knight who is uh, the director of it, who's worked on Box Trolls and Paranorman. Paranorman, by the way. Great flick. Um, Box Trolls as well. So, this kind of alternate universe kind of animated movie that doesn't look like anything we've ever seen. And, you know, kind of a folklorish type fairy tale about, you know, an adventurer setting out to find armor that, that his father set up or that, is, that he needs to beat an ancient evil. You know, classic... Horror, uh, classic um, adventure story tropes. Um, looks great. The cast, the voice cast, is astounding. With, you know, Charlie Theron, Matthew McConaughey, Rafe finds Tons of people in this movie. So, it might be something to go check out. You know, a, an alternate movie that, that would be great for you to find and, and take a look at it again is The Iron Giant. The Iron Giant is one of the great animated movies that we've forgotten about, that we shouldn't have forgotten about, that we should be out, you know, celebrating in the streets. Um, and it, it's very well done. Also opening in limited release is Hell in High Water, which is one of those movies I'm so excited about. Um, Chris Pine, Ben Fosser, and Jeff Bridges in a, a backwoods robbery action, tough guy movie. Um, and if, it, if it's playing in your area, you should go check it out. Um, the movie that I would recommend highly trying to find on any digital medium you can find, there's a great movie called The Way of the Gun that was written by Christopher McQuarrie. It's got Benicio Del Toro and Ryan Felipe, and you cannot go wrong with finding a movie called The Way of the Gun. Uh, absolutely astounding. It'll get you all ready and geared up for a hell and high water. Way of the Gun is about... a uh, two, two big criminals that kidnap a girl that's pregnant and uh she has ties to the mob. It's astounding. It's got a peck and ish kind of feel to it. And Peck and Paw is another great uh person you could look at. Wild Bunch or the getaway to get you jazzed and excited about Helen Highwater. Um and that's that's it. Uh, we do have uh, you know, one of the things that you when you do a show or try to do a show every week and um we lose people constantly, and we we lose people that touched our lives. Or and this week had two of the most touching um, rest in peace things. People that touched my lives in weird ways that that I, I can't even fathom. And um, I want to say rest in peace uh, ever so briefly, or, or not that briefly, to Kenny Baker. Who Kenny Baker? For those of you who don't know. Kenny Baker was a was a um, a small person, a little person, who uh, actually was inside the mechanics of R2D2 um, in Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. So he was the guy running the the robot, running the, the tin can, and performing as R2. Not certainly not with the beeps, but with movement and doing you know moving the dome and doing all kinds of things. And Kenny Baker was a great little actor in his own right. He did a bunch of things with. Jack Purvis, who was another actor that got a lot of work on the Star Wars movies and Willow, um, and you know Kenny Baker worked on Willow as well, and he also worked in the fantastic. If you can find it, you should see it. Time Bandits, which is a Terry Gilliam movie, and basically, um, basically a bunch of a bunch of little people that steal a map that contains all the portals throughout space time continuum, and they go on a, a robbery spree, and they, they're helped by a little kid, and it's. It is a tremendously dark, amazingly well done movie. He plays Fidget in it, and Fidget's easily one of my favorite little people in the movie. And uh, but he, you know, he did a lot of things. He was a, a very gifted performer, and he was R two D two, and you know, R two was my first touchstone character. R two D two and C three P O for a lot of people in my generation are the, you know, the piece de resistance of uh, childhood. You know how funny they were and. They were a bickering couple, and you know, he just fell in love with R two with his grit, and you fell in. And Kenny Baker provided a lot of that with that how he moved and how he, how you know, he was a saucy little robot. And uh, I, I'm, I can't, you know, I can't tell you how much I'm gonna miss Kenny Baker because I just never envisioned a world where I he wouldn't be here. So, uh, kind of a sad thing, um, but I love, you know, I loved his work, and uh, Time Bandits it deserves to be found again. Um, it's an 80th movie that desperately deserves to be found. Not remade, but found. Um, and another person that passed away, uh, John McLaughlin died this week. Um, and John McLaughlin is a totally different, uh, person that I, you know, that affected me or, you know, brought, John McLaughlin hosted a a weekly politics show on PBS and, the first of its kind where he had people getting on and giving different, you know, debating different subjects and kind of, you know, ahead of his time and kind of set up the world we, we kind of have on cable